is up everybody it is a special friday afternoon slash evening edition of the orange and black insider usually we come at you either wednesday night or thursday night uh some scheduling conflicts prevented us from doing that this week but for good reason and we're here on friday to talk about all kinds of things training camp is around the corner the Bengals redid a contract of one of their star players and a couple of other legends are now into the ring of honor we're going to talk about all of it. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. John, how you doing, buddy? And uh, a belated happy birthday to your pops, who had his birthday this week. Yeah, happy 63rd birthday, Tim. Got my nice golf shirt for his for his special What's day. What's the brand? I, I, we'll try and get him to sponsor. What's the, the show? What's the brand? Oh, oh a little, little Walter Hagen, you know? Okay. Little, little out, okay. Outside of what is normally is wardrobe normally is it's like 30 years old or his shirts are normally like 30 years old that he just keeps <laughs> around they're, they're just collecting dust so i'm trying to trying to get him updated right now so it's a work nice. in progress nice well it sounds like it was a good wardrobe choice and hopefully he had a great birthday we've got a lot on tap my man and of course as we were all settling in and trying to have a relaxing weekend a start to the relaxing weekend supposedly last weekend we get the news on Friday, I mean, it was uh, thankful. Thankfully for me, it was like five or six p.m. my time, um, so it wasn't so bad. I was able to write about it and then cover it on a, on a little mini episode here. But I wanted to get your take on what's going on with Joe Mixon. Obviously, um, you know, he redid the contract. It there's talk about it restructuring. They talk about you know, there's all kinds of different verbiage and nuances that you want to use. The the bottom line is, it would seem that there is just a new kind of current two-year contract on uh, that's that's been put together here i'll pull up the uh, the over the cap um thing with it so you can we can kind of take a look at it but your thoughts on it uh i, I expressed some of mine friday afternoon so want to get yours uh as you heard that news yeah so it, it got posted over to cat over the cap sometime this week and before that we weren't actually sure what exactly it was and in typical bengals fashion when you expect one or two things to happen with a certain player or with a position, they end up doing something else entirely. This is not a restructure and it's not a pay cut. It's kind of like a weird mix of both. And I say that because he originally had essentially a two-year $20 million deal remaining based off of his original contract that he signed in 2020. It's now a two-year $11.5 million contract. So in essence, it is a pay cut. But normally, the pay cuts that you see, if, if a player has multiple years remaining on his deal and he takes a pay cut, he then essentially goes down to a one-year deal with significantly less amount of money that he's set to earn. But this is a two-year pay cut. And it, it can also be classified as a restructure because, again, it, it's still like 
the, the original signing bonus is still prorated there, so it's still part of the actual cap hit. But a restructure in in the in the, in the NFL's terminology, a restructure is taking away the current base salary and putting that into a new signing bonus that then gets prorated throughout the life of the deal. Or the, essentially, the the cap hit for the last years of the deal, like those cap hits explode, and that's not what the Bengals wanted to do here. And as you can see, that's not the case here because the money that was taken out of Joe Mixon's base salary this year, because his original base salary is supposed to be like nine million or close to ten million dollars, right. and now it's essentially vet, veteran minimum at, down to one million. So again, that part looks like it's a restructure, but instead of putting that money into a signing bonus that gets prorated throughout the life of the deal, they took that money that they took out of Mixon's, um, you know, potential earnings. And they put it into two roster bonuses for this yep, year right and the next year. So the $4.128 million roster bonus, that's guaranteed. Like Because he's on the roster right now, it might already be in his pocket. Like, I don't even think it went to escrow. And then the the rest of that is now a $3 million roster bonus for next year, which he only gets if he is on the roster, I think, three or four days after uh, the new league year begins in 2024. So his base salaries are cut down from like a total of like 20 million over two years to now 3 million over two years. So he got 17 million cut out and then 7 million added back in, in the form of roster bonuses. So it is a pretty substantial pay cut, but it's not just a pay cut. It's also a restructure, but it's not just a restructure because the cap hit this year is about eight and a half million. And the cap hit next year is also about eight and a half million. So it really is the best of both worlds. Joe Mixon is still making a decent chunk of change compared to what them were, what their one year, what the running back market has now devolved into, but the Bengals don't have to sacrifice a lot of cap space this year or next year to keep them on the roster. So it really was the best possible scenario here, considering that either Joe Mixon was going to be able to do this or he was going to try to test his luck on the running back market, which, I mean, there there is just no luck on the, on the running back market right now. Right. And, you know, the you, you've mentioned the, the cap number, but the cap percent number is in the mid threes, you know, 3.3 3 in 2024, 3.7% this year. I believe those were at, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what it was, at, in the fives or the 6% range yeah. um, before before this this re, this re contract redo. <laughs> I keep calling it like a redo or something like that because there's, like you said, there's like uh, elements of a lot of different restructure, re, you know, new contract altogether. There's all kinds of different elements to it. But um, the, other big, the other big part of it too here, John, is this, number in 2024 that dropped i believe pretty significantly the dead dead money number in 2024 which dropped to 2.75 million obviously giving the team some flexibility next year um if there is a situation where maybe they, they move on or something like that it makes it a little bit more manageable i think from that perspective i think that number was quite a bit higher if i'm not mistaken than it currently sits for next year yeah so it, the team now will save less against the cap if they were to cut him next year because like the that that dead money is still reflected into what the proration of his signing bonus was which again hasn't changed because if this if this was a restructure then it would be then his cap hit for next year would be significantly higher than eight and a half million and it and his dead cap would also be a little bit higher as well so it was unfortunately for him it was unavoidable to get to the point where he has leverage next year where it, it would be tough to cut him that that that, that was just never going to be the case like 2024 is always going to be the sort of team option for the Bengals to to decide if they want to keep Joe Mixon on the team but now that he's making significantly less I, I think like for this year it's like four and a half million that was essentially cut out of his pay because he can again he made it back in roster bonuses 
and now and he also has the chance to earn i think up to two million in incentives he's got a reason now more of a reason to, to just put everything into the season in, in order for him to stick around because again like if the Bengals need cap space next year which i mean they're going to try to extend jamar chase this time next year the Bengals have a, an avenue to cut him and, and basically save about five or six million dollars right the I mean, you mentioned Jamar Chase and an, an extension there. I mean, is this an imminent sign in your opinion that I mean, I, I take it to mean that they are obviously still working on some things. And probably this is, again, that time of year when they when they reconvene for, um, you know, training camp and in the summer where things kind of start to heat back up in terms of contract discussions and everything like that. So are you expecting now that that is probably going to ramp up even more so now that this is in the books and the Bengals will potentially, um, you know, look at, look at sealing the deal with Burrow and Higgins, at least for the time being, maybe we'll Logan it Wilson too. It should lead to that because in, in, in essence here, you, you gave you, you gave Mixon a $4 million paycheck up front, which I mean, that's cash out of their pocket. But now instead of paying him 9 million or 10 million over the course of the season, you're paying him about 1 million. So you're keeping a net positive in the millions in terms of cash that you have on hand. So, you're, so yeah, you're saving about $4 million against the cap, but you're saving close to $6 million in cash just for this season alone. And that goes directly to the Burrow Fund, the Higgins Fund, the Wilson Fund, or just the conglomerate fund, if you will. And it allows you more breathing room in that regard. And also, it takes away cash payouts that you potentially have to give next year, right? So, like again, if the Bengals keep mixing on the roster, they pay him $2 million over the course of the season. They pay him $3 million up front at the beginning of the offseason. That's about $5 million. And cash they pay him compared to I think it was going to be around like eleven or twelve million I think for for next year in twenty twenty four if they did didn't do anything so that's more cash that they have to pay out for or they have on hand for next year when again they're going to be in the, in the current life of Burrow's deal Higgins's deal and a signing bonus for Jamar Chase so a lot more cash has been freed up with this not enough obviously to move the needle tremendously but it definitely opens up more space. So if this was a move that precedes those moves, it, it makes sense. But also, it's just the right thing to do, considering Mixon was just overpaid compared to what the running back market is, the type of player that, that he was in 2022. And unfortunately, is a, you are who you are in the more recent sense. Or what have you done for me lately? So it, it, it fits a lot better just to what running backs are right now and just what they're getting paid. And it just looks a lot better in, in, from an accounting sense as well. Yeah, I went back to history just to show, again, the extension that he signed back in 2020, just to, uh, the, the thing that they just redid was a four-year, $48 million deal, uh, $12 million, you know, annual um, annual payout. And then, of course, there were $10 million in guarantees. Um, he earned, according again to over the cap, he earned $28,636,764 or close to 60% of that contract. And then now we're looking at what is essentially a two-year, $11.5 million deal uh, to, to finish that out. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't, we haven't talked about it a lot. And it's largely because we don't like to talk about off-field stuff or anything like that. And I don't really want to go there. But the, the fact of the matter is that this was a situation that was looming, whether or not some of the things that came to light in the headlines with Joe Mixon over the past couple of months um, and, and really, you know, I mean, if you're talking leverage game and all that kind of stuff, some of that may have played a part of him losing some leverage and just kind of saying, hey, this is, you know, this is the route we're going yet. Like kind of like you said, you, you probably want to take this or else really risk a, a, an open market situation where there's not a lot of stability there at this position. 
Yeah, he we haven't talked about it, but his official court date for his misdemeanor charge is scheduled for I believe the Monday after the first preseason game, so sometime in mid-August. So he'll he'll do that. Um, whatever happens with that happens. I, I would imagine the Bengals doing this to me means that they're pretty confident that he's going to be able to play football this year, which I don't think that was ever really in or tremendous question. But get him out, yeah, right. But like it, it was still something that that was happening and it was still clouding mm-hmm. kind of over the situation at least a little bit but i think this was purely for like from a football sense being able to make sure that you have enough cash and cap on hand to do the things that you want to do and that those deals can start rolling out in the next week or it could take up until september but whatever, whatever the case may be this was a move that was always going to precede it business decision that is that is for sure but um we're gonna we're gonna talk about some other some other uh, good news in just a second. I mean, I guess this is, I don't know if it's good or bad news. It's just kind of noteworthy news um, with Joe Mixon and the Cincinnati Bengals. I guess it's it's good in the way that it could pave the way for some big extensions to keep everybody around and and including keeping Mixon around and, and kudos to him and his agent for, you know, kind of recognizing a lot of the situation and, and saying, you know, also this is uh, not only a good chance for you to have some stability in a very unstable running back market out there, but it's also a chance for him to ring chase for a lack of better, better words. I mean, this is, this is one of the better situations in the NFL and he is going to be, you know, the, the lead game or the lead back rather. Um, so he's going to be the the guy that, that, you know, will be the top back here. So they recognize the situation and um, you know, it was kind of for the betterment of the team, so to speak. And so they, they went with it. And so kudos to Mixon side for agreeing to that. And hopefully everything works out on the other side of things that are coming down the pike with him and of course the extension for the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Uh, we are a Bengals podcast on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. You can get all of those shows on that channel. Our show, Matt Minix, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, uh, Three and Out with Jason and Kevin, Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. All of those are on your favorite audio streamers iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, they are all there. And of course, the respective YouTube channels. If you would like the video stuff that we do, you got to like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And then of course, down beneath John there by that Cincy Jungle icon, you can uh, click that YouTube subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up if you like what we're doing on the YouTube side of things. That helps us out. We also did, if you like the video stuff, we did a couple of different things that we put out that uh, were not on the audio side. So that's what, you know, hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel and that'll, you know, give you a little something extra there. But we did a fun one, Best Bengals Battles with the Seattle Seahawks. That one was up there. And then, of course, we put out, uh, you know, a Sydney Jones uh, video about his uh, potential breakout and then a little something on Corey Dillon as well. So go check out all those videos. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. One nation underground. I like this comment here. Who else loves the chaos Mixon's pay cut has caused for the running backs. It's also Dalvin Cook's situation and more unfortunately has seemingly come to light about what's going on there too. Not so, not some, not so great headlines with Dalvin Cook, but there's a, there is a lot of stuff. And now you're seeing, these groups of running backs kind of band together, you know, Saquon Barkley and a number of others kind of, you know, uh, having gripes about the, you know, the, the lack of pay that these guys are getting, John. And so I don't know if Mixon's contract was kind of the impetus to that, but that definitely brings an element to the conversation in general, right? I mean, Mixon deserves credit for, for just doing this just because it's the best move for his career, to be honest, mm-hmm. man. Like him going out in the open market right now is just not – 
in anyone's best interest if you are a running back. And it sucks because like, yes, like the data tells you that running backs just aren't valuable, but still like it's been, it's been kind of a, it's been a pretty stark change compared to like the NFL that, you know, we kind of grew up watching where, you know, running backs were like, like the focal point of the offenses. And, and we just haven't got to the point where, where we've been able to find like a solution on how to compensate these guys because of the amount of hits that they take, but it's still, you know, in a cold and calculated way, it's still the right decision to not really invest a lot of money in these guys or else it's just, you know, get a platoon back there and, you know, kind of divvy up the carries. So like these guys aren't just banged out and, and exhausted and kind of have too much wear and tear on them before they're 27 years old. It's a weird situation, but you know, the NFL is cyclical and eventually I think appreciation for running backs will kind of come back around in the near future. Well, I got uh, some of you maybe at currently. Um, what was the what was the brewery, John? Where uh, the the since he had oh, Miami, crew and, yeah. Um, since he since he had crew, Teddy K and Matt from since he had her are there. And uh, I got some messages from our guys from uh, Strawberry Ice and Bengals and Brews. I got some DMs and they're there hanging out with them, having fun. And they sent me a couple pictures. Looks like it's having uh, they're having fun. I know. Uh, Bengals captain is there as well, it looked like, and some others. So hopefully everybody's having fun and enjoying the company that is the great Teddy K. So if you are there, enjoy yourself and get yourself a Cincy hat. Support the village of Marici that comes uh, with buying that. And uh, say hi to Teddy for us, if you would. A couple of other legends now in the high in the headlines for the Cincinnati Bengals. And now they are in the ring of honor. And this is this thing is rounding out pretty nicely. Now I know there were a lot of names. We went through the names a couple of weeks ago. So many deserving names. So many deserving names. And of course, you know, you had your first class that that you know two were voted on and two were just automatically placed in there with Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz. Um, and so, you know, you've got now, you know, Ken Anderson and Isaac Curtis and Ken Riley and so many, so many others, um, and two more new ones here. And what's kind of cool for this group, John, for you and me, I mean, we, there is a little bit of an age disparity between you and I am, I'm a little, little more gray in the beard than you, my friend, but what's kind of cool about this now i know there's a lot of other great yet players from yesteryear we talked about you know lamar Parrish and many many others that deserve to be in and will get in but these are two guys from two eras of Bengals football that we grew up watching and many 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 people became cincinnati Bengals fans because of these two players boomer sison and chad johnson I think we are the perfect podcast to discuss this class because <laughs> the, the age that you were when Boomer was conducting the best offense in the NFL, winning an MVP, going to the Super Bowl, was about the age I was when Chad Johnson really be, began his career with the Bengals. You're just throwing me right under the bus with my age, my friend. I, Look, I just man, went right you, for you brought it up. Like I was going to talk about it, but you, you kind of set up the runway for me, man. I just landed the plane. But it really is. Like these two are like like generational talents like it's because like how good they were for the generation but they defined the generation of Bengals football that they played not only because of how good they were but their personalities their personas their just way of attracting attention to a franchise to a franchise that has had a lot of trouble in just its history of doing such a thing boomer was yeah. just the coolest dude back in the day taking questions for super bowl week with the shades on lean back in the bleachers like you know it's it's stuff that you know burrow doesn't or like joe namath did and like we think burrow does now but like that was who boomer was and now he's on cbs every sunday you know even praising the Bengals and like being kind of a voice for the team being one of those early ambassadors for the team along with being 
just a great quarterback and a great leader. And I mean, there's nothing that I can say about Chad that hasn't already been said about just just who he was. Like he he brought fun to the Bengals at a time where they absolutely needed it the most. And like you said, he's probably solely responsible for thousands, thousands of Bengals fans being born in those early 2000s when, again, they just needed some injection of life, just some some form of interest in the team. And Chad Johnson was the perfect was the perfect, you know, catalyst for bringing that just the way that he played the game between the snaps and then after the snaps, the dancing, the trash talk, the playfulness of of it all, just having fun in a game where even people like much older than me were saying, I don't like Chad Johnson. He's a showboat. He's a show off or whatever. I don't care. I'm a kid. I like watching him play. I like watching him dance. And I like watching him back it up because he was so, so dominant from 2002 to 2007, arguably the best receiver in the game at that point in the time where receiver talent was just so prevalent throughout the NFL. He's one of the best players I've ever seen play. And he played for the team that I grew up watching. He's one of the biggest reasons why I continue to watch them today. Let's, I mean, there's so much to say about both these guys. Uh, I, I guess since you kind of uh, <laughs> said a lot about Chad and, and all right, I mean, again, I'll just echo it. I mean, there are, there were people who hadn't even heard of the Bengals or couldn't even remember what city they were from because before, right before Chad got there. And even in his first couple of years, they were so lousy for quite a long time. And he made them not only fun, cool, but also uh, good again. <laughs> he made, he, he was a big part as to why they were good in the middle, uh, the mid two thousands there. Now I will say this, you know, I know boomers an East coast guy, but I remember when you talked about him in this, the super bowl interview with the shades, he had the bright blonde hair. He had the big shades and he had that kind of, he was fiery, but he was also, he kind of, I know I'm going to, it was, the look was like iconic 1980s surfer dude. It was the bright blonde hair, tall guy, kind of tan and had the, had the big smile, the big personality. And it was kind of like a California surfer, surfer guy that was living in from the West coast and playing in the Midwest. And he, just had this personality that exuded confidence, rallied his team around him, and I know he had an amazing offensive line in front of him. I know he had two good running backs for a good portion of his, of his career. I know he had a lot of good wide receivers, a solid tight end. But you said it. They engineered an offense that was incredibly innovative, and they had – I mean, you go back to that 1988 playoff run – and in the three games, not, not counting the Super Bowl, in the three AFC playoff games they had, two of the teams were accused of faking injuries to slow them down on the field. They were they had players continuing to just kind of flop around. It was the Seahawks and the Bills in the championship game. Both teams were accused of doing this. So that's the only way they were able to kind of slow down that no huddle and that, that fiery attack that they had, that Boomer spearhead. And I will tell you this, I tweeted this out the other day. And at one of my very first articles over at Cincy Jungle was about this. And unfortunately, the videos that I referenced in that article have been uh, taken down by the NFL on YouTube. But he was absolutely, I have never seen it since, he was absolutely incredible in selling the play action. I mean, there were times where he would he would sell the play action so well that the NFL cameraman's panning downfield waiting for the, uh, you know. Uh, and, and so... I, Look, there's there's so much to say about both of these guys. Boomer's going to go down as one of the best left-handed passers in NFL history. He is already one of the better quarterbacks in NFL history. Unfortunately, I don't think 
in a lot of respects, he doesn't have the same resume that Ken Anderson does. There are a lot of similarities in terms of MVP getting to a Super Bowl, you know, kind of a spearheading a, a, an offense that was kind of uh, ahead of its time, really, uh, at certain points. But unfortunately, I think Ken Anderson, unfortunately for Boomer, I think Ken Anderson just has a stronger resume and has a bit, a bit bigger following for him to get into the Hall of Fame over Boomer Sison. But Boomer Sison, great quarterback, spent a decade in Cincinnati. It was nine, nine years and then came back. And then he had this amazing year with the team uh, with Corey and Corey Dillon's rookie year. We played like eight games, nine games, something like that. And, and led the team to a big, you know, late season surge was excellent there. And uh, you know, even Corey Dillon on his uh, recent appearances and everything recently has talked about, you know, how Boomer, if Boomer had stayed around that, you know, that those last couple of years, you know, they would have probably been a playoff team and been a really competitive team based on how we played that year. But Boomer just was done at that point. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pull up a couple of, of videos here just to talk about some of the accolades, John. And, and I know we can sit here and gush about these guys a lot. I'm going to start with Boomer, if you're cool with that. Um, you know, again, a guy that doesn't really need much of an introduction is really, of course, becoming a guy that's been a face of the NFL be it a Monday night football broadcaster, be it a, um, you know, a, a guy that's now on CBS weekly talking about football, doing the halftime shows and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, a guy that ha had a really, really solid career. And here are some of the accolades and stats uh, attempts, you know, 5,205, 30, over 3,500 with Cincinnati, uh, almost 3,000 completions over 2,000 with Cincinnati, 57% with uh, completion percentage, 56.5 with Cincinnati, um, 37, 920. I told you there'd be a typo in there. 37, 920 is the uh, career passing yards, 27, 149 with Cincinnati, 247 passing touchdowns, 187 with Cincinnati, 184 interceptions, 131 with, with Cincinnati and a passer rating 81.1 and 83.1 with Cincinnati. So again, you know, not eye popping with the, you know, the passer rating and completion percentage, a little bit different era of, of football. We know that, um, but still a winner, a guy who had, you know, spearheaded a, a great offense for, you know, a number of years, four-time Pro Bowl. He was uh, all pro and NFL MVP in 1988. Um, number 26th in NFL history, passing yards. Number 26, ironically, same same standing in NFL history with passing touchdowns. Uh, and then, of course, the same standing, number three in passing yards in Bengals history, number three passing touchdowns in Bengals history. And then he also, this is not noted on there, but he also had one of the the greatest single game passing, uh, passing games in terms of yardage, uh, two of them actually. One with the Arizona Cardinals and one against the the then and once again LA Rams um, in a in a shootout actually out here, and um, I think that was 1990. Uh, so he had in the 90s he had two amazing single game passing uh, passing games. I, I think the Arizona game uh, he was over 500 yards in that one, and then I, I think he was close to 500 in the in the other one. So a lot of great career stats and accolades for him. A, uh, a very deserving guy uh, in terms of being in the Bengals ring of honor. And, uh, you know, you know, he kind of reminds me his career and just the way it kind of played out. It seems a lot like Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan was also like a multi-pro bowl and he had just one amazing season where he was MVP and unfortunately fell short of the Super Bowl. And I know Matt Ryan is like kind of looked at as looked at as like a fringe Hall of Famer. And that's probably what Boomer is now, but 
like you said, in that era of, of football, it was obviously a lot harder to to generate efficient stats and whatever. But I mean, that that nineteen eighty eight season, like it's before two thousand twenty one or two thousand twenty two, was considered the greatest Bengals team of all time, and it was dominant, and they won twelve games mo- mostly because they had the best quarterback in the NFL, and that just kind of just shows you the the benefit of having a quarterback like that, but to be able to take over for Ken Anderson the way that he did yeah. rattle off Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl and lead that offense, like it was impressive, man. Like just watching his highlights, very impressive just to see. And you know, the, the, the thing that it, it, it's, it, it is fitting that both these guys are kind of going in the same class because yes, like Boomer, he hasn't always been like the nicest to the Bengals. I, I even think like uh, in the past week he was commenting about Corey Dillon, and he like quoted Mark Twain's quote about Cincinnati, like, "Oh, Cincinnati's always twenty years behind the time." I I, I don't really put that against Boomer. I th- I think that's just that's just kind of just who his personality is. Like he just keeps it really keeps it straight, and he has reasons as to why you know he's been critical of the Bengals organization in years past. But when they do things right, like he in the past couple of years, he's done nothing but sing the praises yeah. of the Bengals. So when the Bengals line. change, right? Like he's the, the guy who who touts them and. Chad's approach to it all is kind of different in a way where Chad doesn't want to say anything bad about any player or any team, right? He's the ultimate ambassador for the NFL. He's, he does nothing but but sing the praises in, in the strengths of the players that he follows and that he loves. And he's done nothing but beats the perfect ambassador for the Bengals in itself just because Bengals gave him an opportunity that at the time he like it was probably way above him, right? He was a second round pick who you know, was going to be a lot better than what he was in college. And he just needed to be set straight by Marvin Lewis and, and what the Bengals did for him, not only as a player, but as a person, it really, you know, elevated his life to where it is now. And he has nothing but absolute gratitude for the organization. And for him to say that being in the Bengals ring of honor is even more rewarding than the the possibility of being in the hall of fame. I believe that man, just because I know how much we all know how much Cincinnati means to him and how much the organization means to him. So I think for both these guys, they kind of did it their own ways and their personalities are very big and maybe some different ways, but the fact that they're going in together and how they just defined the, the areas in which they played, it's, it seems very fitting. Yeah. Um, you know, Chad, here's, here he is. And we pinned a, a past interview we had with him, a lot of fun talking with him and some, some fun, um, you know, some fun uh, comments coming from him as expected. Um, you know, you see here reception 766 receiving yards, 11,059 receiving touchdown 67, 751. I mean, barely, barely anything in that one year with, you know, obviously he went to Miami that didn't work out. And then he went on to new England and barely did anything that year. Although his team did make the super bowl that year, but, uh, 11,059 receiving yards and, uh, you know, just, uh, just over 10, um, just under 11,000, 10,783 with Cincinnati. And all of those, quite honestly, are the top numbers in Bengals history with, um, you know, in, in terms of catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns. A.J. Green and others came close, um, but uh, he's kind of the, the top there. Uh, two-time All-Pro, 0506, six-time Pro Bowler. He was absolutely dominant in the stretch of 03 to 07. Um, did have that nice spark of a year in 09. Um, 38th in NFL history, receiving yards, 56 in NFL history, receiving touchdowns. And then of course, number one across the board in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns and receptions in Bengals history. So when you see 38 and 56, 
I mean, you, you may scoff at that a little bit, but you say, I mean, look, I mean, each team has, I mean, think about how many wide receivers there have been, how many productive wide receivers there have been, and he's in and around names that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, I mean, again, he was in the, kind of the Corey Dillon thing that we said, you know, Corey Dillon got overlooked because he was kind of in a golden age of running backs and the team wasn't that great. Chad Johnson, the team was pretty good, um, but, you know, he got overlooked because, you know, I mean, the Colts had two Hall of Fame receivers on their roster right around when he was playing, right? The Colts themselves did. And so, <laughs> you know, you're looking around and going, man, he's just is going to get, you know, overlooked here. And maybe he's going to be one of these, you know, maybe it's going to take a senior candidate type of thing for him to get into the Hall of Fame. I, I think for what he, I mean, when you really look at what he did, the numbers he put up, and the consistency in the mid 2000s i think he has a pretty solid argument to get into hall, the hall of fame it's just that there are so many deserving wide receivers along with him that he may just continue to get lost in the shuffle a little bit but i i i think he, he is his resume says hall of fame he was not maybe the the very very best receiver of his of his generation but he was probably top two to three um consistently in the mid 2000s in the nfl and there were some really good wide receivers in that time. Oh, there's a definite backlog. We've known this for years. And it's kind of cool how the Ring of Honor is now a vehicle to get these guys yeah. into yep. the conversation more. I don't know if that happens with Chad just because there's just so many receivers who are already in the Hall of Fame. And there's so many more that still need to be enshrined in the coming future. It doesn't really matter to me because, like like you said with Boomer and how special he was in some of his straights, specifically with play action Chad is the best route runner I've ever seen in my life. And like, there's, yep. there's, there's the Devonte Adamses of the world. There's, you know, the West Wokers or whatever you want to say, whatever your taste and preferences, that's fine. But guarding Chad Johnson on a comeback route or a slant, it's, it was impossible. It was impossible. Like there's no reason for his feet to be moving as quick as they were. And as just beautifully in sync as they were, he was, he was generating like on average six yards of separation on a comeback it was insane like him and Carson like they they formed a connection that again like I I think it deserves credit for it being with this franchise coming out of the 90s like for them to posting those eye-popping numbers after the franchise went 10-15 years of being just in the basement it deserves credit man and it, it deserves the recognition that it's finally now getting but like if a hall of fame case is based off of just the qualities that the player possessed Chad's one of the best receivers I've ever seen in my life. But like you said, the production will always kind of get in the way. And as the years go on, that, that production will continue to be diminished and diminished by players who kind of came after him. So I don't expect Chad to ever be in the Hall of Fame. I probably don't expect Boomer to. But I mean, very clear candidates for Ring of Honor. We all knew Chad was going, going in this year. And it was just a matter of who was joining him. And I think they made a good, good choice with Boomer. Good, good choices with both of them. And if I, if Boomer was the guy that I said was a, you know, the master of, you know, selling the play action, right? Chad was the master of avoiding press coverage. If you look back mm -hmm. at some of his, and that actually, it does not speak to strength. It does not speak. I mean, it speaks to the feet and you watch him and you talk about someone say, yeah, it, boom, boom. You know, it just a guy. And, and sometimes you see guys, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll get a little piece of them, but sometimes they just jam air because he, he stepped back and go, you know, darted around him. And so, and, and, and a lot of big plays were made when, when, that occurred so you know just a, a really really good player both guys really deserving and i think both of them are very 
excited and humbled uh, that they're that they're in the ring of honor. I know, obviously, everybody wants to be in that first class and everything, but you know, when you look at how this has transpired and who has got gotten in and when, I mean, I think you kind of see a lot of logic, and this is kind of the sequence where you go, uh, probably the most sensical. I know there's some others out there that have good, you know, Lamar Parrish and many, many others, but I mean, man, I mean, I, Isaac Curtis, Willie Anderson in the second, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense how they've, how they've inducted them. Yeah. I, I would have made a case for Lamar Parrish uh, just because well, I, I, I still like the idea of once a year until we kind of run out of these candidates or they're all in, that we get someone who played in the earliest days and, you know, maybe someone north of like 65, seven years old, just to make sure that they do get in. So I'll, I'll definitely be pounding the table for Lamar Parrish next year, yeah. because he's definitely the guy who played in the seventies and who is north of 70 years old, who has the best case of going in. Yeah. I, I would say probably him. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good kind of a talking point. I guess yeah, Lamar Parrish is probably up there for me as well. I think Max Montoya deserves a lot. I know a lot of people um, also, uh, I, 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 and I'm not in disagreement with him. I think he has earned quite a bit for a number of contributions. Uh, Dave Lapham, you know, I mean, and I know his name's in there, but um, you know, uh, there are some Corey Dillon now, I mean, now you're getting into some more tough decisions, but you know, I think for me, if I was to look at the next class, it would be probably between um, you know, Corey Dillon, Max Montoya and, or um, Lamar Parrish. Um, you know, there's Crum Ryan there, there's Fulcher in there. I mean, there's a lot of good players in there too. Um, that's probably where I would maybe uh, start with next year's class, but that's just kind of gut feeling uh, a year away. <laughs> and again, I have no idea if Corey Dillon's ever going to get in the ring of honor now, but I want to be there if it ever does happen. That'll be legendary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Okay, let's move on here. We're just going to do a couple of talking points on training camp my friend because training camp is a coming and there's a lot of buzz around this team i think the personally i think the tone may be a little bit different this time around with with the with the team based on how the year ended last year and you know how they were having fun and talking a lot and all of that and then all of a sudden they didn't end up going to or winning the big game um and so now they've got kind of a a little bit of a a revenge tour, so to speak, I guess this year, as weird as it sounds when you make the AFC championship, but um, just uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of the position groups in just a second, but just your kind of overarching opinions, gut feelings, everything about the team and uh, the vibe going into training camp here. Vibes are good because the NFL had to release essentially a list of all the players who are on the pup or the NFI um, leading up to training camp. So far, no Bengals are on that list. Now, knocking on the wood, the fake wood of my desk until they actually do report to camp in the next week. But this team's pretty healthy. And I like because 2020 was COVID and everything was just Zoom up until camp. And even then, like you had to deal with a lot of COVID restrictions during camp. 2021, you had Burrow not being himself because he's coming off of an injury. 2022, he had an appendectomy, and the offensive line barely practiced together because of injuries. 2023, like everyone's here. Everyone's presumably healthy, aside from, I guess, both uh, Lel Collins and Jonah Williams. So, like, they, they could still be put on, like, the NFI or the pup um, up until the beginning of the training camp. But, I mean, Jackson Carmen was practicing with the ones, so he has chemistry with Alex Kappa, right guard, and, you know, the starters in general. So, even if 
those two guys at right tackle, you know, aren't fit to practice in the beginning of the camp. They seem to be on track to at least participate in sometime during camp. So if that's the biggest hurdle right now, like they're set up much better than they were in, in recent years. And that's just, that's very critical, right? Because like you want to talk about mindset. I think their mindset just has to be just start better like because they have not started well at all in the Joe Burrow era in the first couple of weeks. And then it almost got out of control last year. So I, I think that might be their biggest mindset, just knowing how last season ended and how last season began. I just don't want to repeat that. When this team gets hot in the regular season, it gets red hot. We saw that last year. We saw it at the end of 21 also, right? Uh, I mean, when they get on a, a streak and a tear, they are borderline unbeatable. And now I think that's a very interesting point that you bring up that maybe the focus is or has been, let's get out of the gates hot and stay hot as long as we can. Um, and when you look at – it's just, it, any other year – you could say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, you can afford maybe a, a slip up or two at the beginning of the year. You know, 21, their first game of the year was uh, against Minnesota. 22, their second game of the year was against Dallas, right? Interconference games, just good teams, but, you know, maybe doesn't mean as much. This year, what is it, Browns, Ravens back-to-back, -back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, out of the gate. And so you cannot afford uh, – you really can't afford to lose one, but you for sure can't afford to go on an 0 and 2 start to those teams, especially with, uh, you know, one being at home. You you just cannot afford that. And so I th that's a really interesting point that you bring up that they their focus should be. And I'm in agreement with you. We cannot have a slow start. Losses are probably going to happen. I hate to I hate to break it to everybody. They're probably going to lose a game or a few games this year. That's just bound to probably happen. But. If you are going to lose them, you don't want it to be in those first two weeks. Um, that's just you, you got to take care of those games. And this division is going to be rough. I, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of questioning about just how good the Browns will be. I think they'll still be really tough and they always play the Bengals tough. Obviously, the Ravens probably are their big, biggest threat. And I go back and I look at the Steelers games last year, John, not only did the Bengals lose that wacky one in week one, but. I mean, even the second game was uh, really close. You know, I mean, it, it, it wasn't the pull away that we saw in, in 21 when the Bengals, you know, were, were taking care of business against Pittsburgh. You're going, wow, there it is. You know, I mean, this the, it was a kind of a tough game, that rematch too. So it's a tough division. They can't afford to, to squander, especially early. It's not It's not just a tough division. It might be the toughest division. Like, it's just, just right. like, I, I can't, it's hard for me to envision the, a scenario where one team here just dominates the others like winning four games in this division to me would honestly be more impressive than going back to back to back uh division champions which i don't think has ever happened in the afc north history in this in the 21 years that, that this has been a thing winning four games in this division would be very impressive which is why i just it, it's just easy for me to expect just splitting with all of them and just easy for me to expect yeah. Just, yeah just like splitting out of the gate too because being both the ravens and browns Every uh, every team in this division, I, I believe, has genuinely gotten better. And that's not just like offseason talk. Just looking at the state of the rosters, the context of what last year was for at least half of them and where they are now. Like, I, I genuinely believe that the worst team in this division is winning like eight games, which means the best team may only win like 11. The Bengals could win 11 games this year and people will, will be like, that's worse than last year, but they could still be a better team. And just just the, the teams that they play six times out of 17 better, games. Yeah. 
they're all really good, man. Yeah. So what, I mean, uh, before we get into some position groups and then get on out of here, I mean, what do you think? Because I think now, since we're on this topic of, of hot start, and I think that's, that's a really, really good point. What, what's it going to take? Is it going to take more preseason snaps? Is it going to, I mean, obviously the health and not the appendectomy and missing practices and all that kind of stuff. Is it just now there's not as many new pieces, new faces as they continue to to add, you know, via free agency, the draft and, and putting players in higher profile positions. I mean, what's it going to take to in this, in this training camp and in the preseason here to get them to get off to a better start than we've seen that we saw last year, at least. Yeah. Like in, in years past when they weren't active in free agency, they kind of boasted continuity as, as a strength, even though in, in, in essence, it was almost like a weakness because they weren't doing enough to change. But in the past couple of years, it's almost been like a ton of continuity to the point where every year it's kind of like a reset with your personnel and this has been the calmest year in terms of just adding new pieces. Like obviously Orlando Brown is very much needed. I don't think having him being the new piece, of the offense line is going to set them back in the beginning. Like the biggest change right now is just the safety room because that's two new starters. And you don't even know who one of the new starters is going to be between Nick Scott and Jordan battles. So the fact that the coaching staff is all still intact, pretty much the entirety of the starting roster is still intact. And the only pieces that changes, I've honestly been for the most part upgrades like the, this team is just like it, it knows who it is, right? The locker room has stayed intact. Everyone is comfortable with one another. All the pieces seem to be fitting for what scheme that they want. And more than just getting more reps in training camp and preseason, just knowing who you are from a schematic sense is such an improvement over last year yeah. where they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to they didn't know how to put together an offense with their running game and passing. Game. They had no idea how to marry the two. And it took them eight weeks to figure out. And it was almost too late. I think now they have a better grasp on what they want to do as an offense. They, they should have more comfort. They should have more comfort in doing so because they should have more comfort in their offensive line. Okay. So position groups. Um, what's the, what, what's the strongest position group in your, in your eyes right now on the team? Great question. Probably receivers, right? It's gotta be. Yeah. yeah. Because like last year it was a question because, you saw what happened. Like obviously you miss any elite talent and the quality is going to drop off, but they knew that they needed an injection of athleticism. If God forbid they had to play without Chaser Higgins for an extended yeah. period of time, and they had to play without both of them and separate periods. And it, it was detriment. So now like, obviously I'm not expecting a ton from Charlie Jones or Andre Yoshevis, but to have those guys as your fifth or sixth options, it's much better than, than they were last year. And obviously the starting three is still the best starting trio in the NFL. So that's that, that alone just kind of makes the case, but the depth is so much better now. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think, you know, kind of giving them a little bit of a, I mean, defensive line got itself a nice boost. Right. But I think there's still a lot of questions there. Um, uh, you know, I mean, of course, if you, you could say quarterback because, you know, uh, Burrow, I mean, but um, I, I think from the depth pers- pers- perspective, yeah, that's, I, I would be in agreement with you is is the offensive line still the i don't want to i guess weakest or biggest question mark in your mind at this point or did the signing of orlando brown jonah williams seemingly coming back on board and having jackson carmen Lael collins in various capacities waiting in the wings so to speak does that put that maybe ahead of some other position groups for you that's a good question man like i feel like i i I don't think it's naive to think that the offensive line is is fine now because 
like we can talk about depth at offensive line, but no team has quality depth at offensive line. It's just an unfortunate fact, right? It's just your offensive line is as good as your weakest link, and their weakest link right now, I guess, is that right tackle. But that could still be a better version of Jonah Williams from last year, or a better version of Lel Collins from last year, or a better version of Jackson Carmen. If that's your weakest link, that's miles ahead of what it has been in the past six, seven years. So honestly, like I, I think like defensive tackle might have more questions for me personally, just because that is a position where you need depth and you don't know if you have it. Like you're counting on such a big jump from Zach Carter, and you have nothing behind DJ Ritter who can do anything remotely close to what he can do and you need another partner for bj hill and, and again you don't know if you have that so i think defensive tackle might be their weakness even if their two starters are pretty good yeah I, the depth the depth there is or safety we don't know yeah 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 i mean that's uh, you've got a lot of talent a lot of athleticism at safety but you know you got to look at it and say okay well I mean, put two new faces back there and the faces they had did a lot of lining up of, of defensive players. Right. I mean, it, and, and so now you lose quite a bit back there with, with Bell and Bates gone, but you do have, you know, the cupboard somewhat stocked. You just got to figure out and lessen the learning curve with, with who they've got back there. So um, what position group would surprise, do you think will surprise you the most in training camp in terms of its, uh, in a positive way, in a positive way, what do you, or I, I guess or either or, or maybe a negative way, if you want to, if you want to be a, a negative guy about it. But uh, I, I was thinking more of the positive, like what, what position group do you think will jump out and say, Oh, this is looking better than I thought. Um, well, so my expectations for defensive line play are already pretty high entering camp because they always have a good training camp. But like I think we'll see flashes out of Asai and out of Miles Murphy. But again, that's just the nature of camp. I, I think we'll see good performances from cornerbacks too. Like I think Cam Taylor Britt is an, an improved player at this point. Should be Wuzier could be coming back any minute now. And I don't think we'll see any signs of rust from him, to be honest with you. Mike Hilton's still pretty solid, but the depth of cornerback is pretty good too. Like uh, beyond Eli Apple, who's now gone, like I think Sidney Jones is in a good spot to resurrect his career. I think Alan George is going to build off of what he did last year. DJ Ivy had a really good OTAs. Like they, they're pretty, they're pretty well built at cornerback, and it's not always a position that shines in training camp and whatnot because of how much restrictions you can have with contact. But I think they're in a pretty good shape. Uh, you want to say hi, whatever, John? Egan? He said hi. Hi. I, I, I'm doing a show, buddy. What's going on? What do you want? What do you need? We're just getting the monster trucks. Okay. You can go get the monster trucks, buddy. Okay. Get the monster That's, truck. Go get the monster trucks, Regan. Nothing like good old live broadcast. Um <laughs> so so uh the other the other thing I would say with that, John, would be the running back position. I think, you know, obviously there's there's the sense of loss with Samaj P. Ryan leaving and you know, some questions about mixing, but I think the questions have been settled. And I I think also number one, Chase Brown, I think is going to be, you know, a solid backup. I think Travion Williams is going to be solid as well, but I think the other element, you just mentioned it, that you said, you know, it's not, it's not naive to think that the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is going to be improved. And thus, does that mean the running backs are going to show improvement as well with improvement and players in front of them. So I think that, uh, you know, even though there's some question marks there, 
you know, what's Travion Williams' role going to be and will he answer the bell? I think he will. I think Chase Brown's going to be a nice piece. And I think once Mixon kind of gets, now that the contract thing's behind him, hopefully the other situation gets remedied in a positive way for him. And once that's all behind him, he can kind of like focus on just playing football, right? And so I, I, I tend to think that while there are some questions in that group, I think there's, there's maybe a, a potential for some growth. Yeah, that's a good point about contracts because, I mean, this is it's crunch time now officially for both Burrow and Higgins to kind of get these deals done, specifically more for Higgins because I, I just don't imagine them being able to re-sign him in the offseason. They'll probably just have to tag him if anything. So, I mean, we saw what it was with Bates last year, but everything that we've seen and heard from Higgins this year means that he'll report to camp and he'll be he'll be fine. Like, obviously, he, he might be feeling more pressured and more of a sense of urgency to kind of get it done. But I don't think that'll be reflective in the way that he kind of carries himself during practice or maybe the things that he says. It's definitely in his mind for sure, and it deserves to be. And hopefully they can get something done. But unfortunately for him, it's probably just all dependent on if they can get something done with Burrow. And they're probably just rushing to get that done as quick as they can. Yeah. Any any other, I don't know, closing thoughts from you about training camp, about the team as they head into training camp? Obviously, we will be continuing to keep uh, keep everybody updated on training camp happenings. John, you will be at some practices. I think our own Jason Garrison will be at some as well. So between you two being at practices, we'll get some nice reports, I think. But um, I don't know. What it would Any other thoughts, opinions, anything about the Bengals as they head into training camp here for 2023? Practices did not start until Wednesday, and I don't think pads even come on until like two Mondays from now. But I'm telling you right now, do not, do not overreact to offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones. I've seen it too many times in the past. It creates stupid discourse. It's just dumb. Don't do it, especially at right tackle. All those guys <laughs> coming back from injury, playing yeah. new position for one of them. Just just relax. Just wait until see to see things, how they play out. And uh, on top of that, do not have mega overreactions to the intra-squad scrimmage that they, that they do, <laughs> right? If the offense has trouble moving the ball, if the defense can't stop anybody, that sort of thing. I mean, it's just, you can't, I mean, I don't want to say you take it with a grain of salt. You have to look at it and make sure that, you know, there's not a glaring issue there. But oftentimes I, I know that people get that way with the scrimmage as well. Yeah, that's, it's all, it's all training camp, man. It's all coming back into football and anything that we can get our hands on. We're going to just, just squeeze all the juice out of it but we still, we still we still got some weeks until this all this stuff actually matters so can't that can't come here soon enough yep well he's john i'm anthony this has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast uh, i think we're gonna drop the mic and get out of here i don't know if you got some final thoughts for us john sheeran but uh i'd love to hear him if you do my friend uh crypt keeper yes i'm still um I'm blocked on Twitter by the pro shop, but I'm not banned or barred from entering the store. And I will prove that to you guys. I'll send you some, some, some video of me in the store, uh, sneaking behind, go. behind, um, locked doors. You should have, if you do that, you should have like a shirt, uh, a shirt made that has like the block, the, the picture of the, the tweet that says they blocked <laughs> you and, and walk in sporting that thing. Um, that'd be funny. Uh, hey, I don't really have all that much. Uh, it's been a, a long week in a variety of different ways. I guess I will just say that uh, I appreciate, I, I don't normally like to 
air a lot of, you know, personal stuff on social media and all that stuff. I put something out there about my youngest having a little minor surgery. He's doing fine. He did that last week. Um, he's doing fine. And a lot of people just kind of were super supportive and saying nice things and everything. And um, I just am appreciative of that. I don't normally like that, but it was his first surgery, first surgery for either one of my kids. Um, he's already kind of had some stuff in the past. And obviously anytime you go under anesthesia, especially first time, little guy, all of that, little scary, but uh, turned out fine. And he's, he's recovering well. And I just appreciate all the support that a lot of people showed um, from a dumb little tweet that I put out there. Cause I was in my own head about my, my little guy. So I'm appreciative of it. Happy's doing well, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Happy belated birthday to the, the senior, uh, Sheeran. Uh, I don't know if he's doing something extra this, uh, this week for his birthday, but happy birthday to him. Thank you all for listening again. Get it on your favorite audio streamer, this show, all of the shows on Cincy jungle, uh, the, the, the podcast channel there, leave a rating there. If you could too, we appreciate that. And then of course, Go and subscribe to our YouTube channel underneath John there. Click the subscribe, the show icon, and then uh, click the click the subscribe button. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And, of course, uh, give us a thumbs up if you like what we're doing on here, too. Appreciate all of you. We've got a lot of stuff coming, not only on this show, but from all of the contributors on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network now that uh, training camp is underway and all kinds of stuff. We'll be getting you all kinds of fun interviews and all kinds of different stuff. So, Look out for that. We're going to keep the content coming. John, have a great weekend. Happy Friday to you. Thanks for uh, calling an audible this week and being available on a Friday afternoon evening, my friend. Let's get it.